We are uh, walking through this study in Acts, and it has been, uh, I think, so important, especially in the day and the time that we live in. Uh, our, our world has changed. Uh, we're talking this weekend, and I've uh, said this to other people before. I feel like that uh, we, there's just been a, a shift in the world. It feels like last year there was just a shift. And ever since that shift happens, uh, happened, it, it feels like everything has just kind of been on the table for change. And uh, one of the things that, again, has been so encouraging as we've gone through this is God's Word has never changed. The truth has never been altered. It's never changed. It's never uh, been adapted. It has existed for all of eternity because it's God's Word, and God's Word is settled in eternity. And so we are so thankful He has given us His Word, and so thankful in His Word we have a history of the church, and that's what we're seeing in Acts. We get to see what God did in the very beginning uh, of the church and see what they went through and the lessons that they learned and the things that God did in and through them. And again, gain for us uh, what I believe the church in the end, uh, those lessons that we can apply in our life and hopefully live out. And so last week we saw uh, what is considered uh, maybe the, the, the deacons and the, maybe the leader of the deacons stepped forward, this man named Stephen. And uh, he was put forward as an example because of his faith, because of his leadership. Again, the example that he had in the church. And I believe that's what God used, and that's what God still uses. Uh, it's not about titles. It's not about positions. Uh, it's about the example. It's about the obedience, about the faith. And again, this man, because of his faith, because of his, his, uh, the qualities and the way that he was living in obedience to the Lord, uh, was just put as an example for this early church. And again, uh, we, we see what is going to happen to Stephen, and we consider the rewards that mankind gets and what rewards happen on this earth. And uh, he isn't rewarded because of his faith and because of example uh, with much of what mankind would call an actual reward. Uh, but his trial of faith becomes this blessing for the church then and is still a blessing in the lesson for us today. Uh, we talked about this a little bit as well. And uh, God wants to use us in the trials. God wants to use us in the valleys. God's not just looking to take our lives and use us whenever we're on the mountaintop, when everything, every, everything is amazing, everything is wonderful, uh, there's no problems, we have no issues. That's where God wants to use us. No, I mean, He will and He wants to there, but He also wants to use us in the valleys when we're not feeling it, when we're, when we're struggling. When everything is off and everything is wrong and everything doesn't feel good and, and there's problems and there's issues and it seems like maybe sometimes they're on every foot, that's where God wants to use us too. And again, we have to make sure that we are not getting in our own way. We've got to make sure that we're not getting God's way because we're being controlled by emotions or being controlled by our feelings and, and, and what's going on in our life. We, we can't get in the way. Stephen could have done that. He was a man. He was not supernatural. He was not... Uh, somebody that was, oh man, he was sent out of heaven. No, he was a man that was saved, that had the Holy Spirit in him, just like those of us who are saved today, same Holy Spirit. He was a man that was subject to, 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 to fear and struggle and, and, and worry and, and, and all these things. He had all of those things in his life, and yet God uses him because he is exercising his faith. He is being obedient. He is following Jesus Christ the way that Jesus said to follow him, forsaking all and following him. 
Again, Stephen's been brought before this religious council, this council that he knew would be, the, again, the reason why Jesus was falsely accused and given over to the Romans to, to be crucified, the same council that he, he knew that the apostles were taken captive by and thrown into prison and beaten and, and warned and threatened and all the same, same council. Knowing all these things, knowing all the beating and the threats and, and, and even the, the end result could be his, his own death, he's standing there before them. The Bible says they looked on his face and saw it was like the face of an angel. He wasn't pretending that the, the trial wasn't real. He wasn't going to his happy place emotionally or psychologically. I believe, again, we saw last week that he had had his focus on Christ. And that's not some super, super spiritualized, over-spiritualized concept. That's a reality that is seen in the church and through the church through the ages. And so when we go through something that's life-altering and shaking, and we're, we're in a place where we're not feeling, where we're, where we're struggling in so many different ways, and, and somebody says, well, we'll just focus on Jesus, and we get upset about that, that's, that's on us. We should be the ones that says, you know what? You're right. Because all through the ages of the church, we've had people like Stephen, in the face of great trial and even death, be able to have that face of name, be able to stand on faith and focus on Christ. And none of this, I'm saying that he had a, a perfect sinless record. We're not told that in Scripture. We know that he was a sinner saved by grace just like all of us are, but we don't see anything other than Stephen making some choices in the midst of his struggle, in the midst of this threat, in the midst of its actual persecution for his faith, he has some choices. And again, I, I want to remind every single person here, if you're a child of God and you go through a trial, you're facing some struggles, you have the same exact opportunity. You have choices to make in the midst of that. You have choices what you're going to fix your mind on. You have choices of what you're going to allow to pull you and sway you. You have choices on what you're going to do, how you're going to decide you're going to make it through those trials. It's all choices. Now, we understand that in our flesh, the Bible says that the, the, the Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. We can't do it ourselves. We don't have the strength in ourselves. I don't. No person in this room has the strength to face the attacks of the enemy, to face the enemy himself, the trials and the struggle we have. We, we can't do that. Even the Apostle Paul revealed, and we saw it last week, that when he asked God three times to remove the thorn in the flesh, God's reply to him was, my grace is sufficient for you. And so Paul says, okay, this is what I'll do then. I, I, instead of asking God to remove the problems and remove me from the problems, I am going to glory in my struggles. I'm going to glory. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to praise God in the midst of my trials so that in my weakness and in my struggle, his strength can be made perfect. And that's what will get me through. He could have sulked. He could have become very selfish. There I was. I had just been ordained as a deacon. There I was. I was being obedient. I was serving. I, I, I was just 
doing what I felt like God wanted me to do. And, and then I had some opportunities, and I, and I began to share Jesus Christ, and I began to witness. And, and God was doing things in me that I know were not me because I'm just a man. And, and, and I was just trying to serve the Lord and, and be obedient to His call. And, and now here I am facing this council, and people are lying about me and making up stories about me. And, 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 and maybe I'm going to die. Why, why is this happening to me? It's not fair. He could have taken his eyes off Jesus like many of us can and many of us do. Just like Peter did. He could have asked the question, why me? And maybe he did inside. Maybe, maybe it's something that wasn't recorded. But we don't have that, so I, I can't be convinced that he was asking, why me? It's not, not a problem to ask the Lord, why is this going on? There's, there's not a problem with saying, God, I don't understand all this. There's, not, and there's no problem with saying, God, this doesn't make sense. There's no problem with us, again, going to our Father and saying, I'm struggling with this, God. I don't know. Uh, why, why is this happening to me? I, I just want understanding. But when I say I don't believe he was saying, why me, as, a, as in reference to God's character and goodness and his relationship to him as a Father, I just don't see that he did that. And I want us to be careful whenever we go through things. It's okay to ask God, why is this going on? Why is this happening to me? What is this all about? It's okay to do that. But not when we begin to question his character as God and his Father. God, why? Like if you're not, if you're not so maybe asleep or maybe, maybe you're not quite as good or maybe you're not quite as gracious Maybe you're not quite as powerful. Why am I going through that? Not, not questioning that, but seeking understanding is fine. Here's the important part about Stephen. Even if he had thoughts of, why is this going on? Why is this happening to me? He didn't let those thoughts and feelings change the course of his response to the false accusations. He didn't let his emotions take over what he was going to do. And so he stayed the course. And we're going to see that he stayed the course for Christ. But, but how and why is a very important question. Again, I believe his faith was grounded in Christ, rooted in Christ. It wasn't based on what man could do for him or what man could take from him. It wasn't based in his circumstances, how good or bad they were. His faith, his life was built on and rooted in Jesus Christ alone. So I believe that we could have it recorded. It's not said. I believe that we could see from Stephen, again, on his response, that he could have said, if this goes bad or if this doesn't go away, I will still trust you, Lord, and you are still good. That, that, that may be a hard thing to say. That may be a hard place to be in our life. You're going through something that has changed your life. Again, in this last year, we, we've all gone through something, and, and it just seems like there's one thing after the other now. Is that how we can say, was that what we can say in the trial ourselves? Even if this doesn't go away, God, even if this stays bad in my life, I still trust you every day, and, I, and you are still good no matter what happens to me on this earth. Again, I believe that based on what we're about to see, Stephen was there. Now listen, Satan uses the same tactics today with us as he used them. 
He'll bring false accusations. As I mentioned last week, he'll bring our past failures up. He'll bring up how, how bad we really are, our present frustrations. He'll try to bring everything against us. He'll bring opposition, discouragement, frustration. He'll bring lies about who we are and, and, and our worth. And he'll bring uh, all kinds of stuff about health. And he'll sow seeds of doubt and confusion. And he'll do everything he can, can do to keep those who are inactive in the gospel work in that place of inactivity. So they never have time to enter the battlefield. And I'm so busy worried about my, my life. I'm so busy about all the problems I got going on. I'm so busy with these, this stuff in life. I never have time to even think about a lost soul, let alone try to give them the gospel. If Satan can keep us there, preoccupied with problems, if Satan can keep us there, busy with business, if Satan can keep us so wrapped up and worked up in the things of this life that we never even think about a lost soul, let alone try to give them the way to heaven, then that's all he will do. As long as it works, he'll keep playing that card. I shared last week that I'm convinced that, that most, much of Christianity isn't really in the battle for the souls of man. I just, it's just not seen. We've kind of, we've kind of got out of the fight in, in large part, Christianity. A large part, there's a lot of Christianity that is, that, that's been self-assigned to this place of, well, I'm just going to try to be a good Christian and I'm going to go to church and I'm just trying to be a good person and, and, and let my light shine. And that's, that is what I'm going to do. Again, we, we're too preoccupied. We're too busy we can't add anything else to our schedules. I mean, God forbid that we, we have a little bit of time to, to share the only hope for the lost soul with somebody else. That's what the world, the world says. So we can't do anything else. Sometimes in this Christian, American Christianity that we're living in, there's, sometimes we're so busy that we can only make a little bit of time for a little bit of church here and there, but to actually daily and weekly and just faithfully pursue souls that are lost, there's just no way. So Satan will keep using the schemes. But what about those who are actually trying? What about those who are actually trying to share the gospel and invite people and, and, and do those things? What, what about those? What will we do when the schemes become more difficult for us? Like we see with Stephen. Right now, you can go through that drive-thru. You can talk to that waiter. You can, you can leave a note. You can walk into somebody in the street. You can, you can put a track on someone's door. You can, you can do all of those things. Right now, we, we have the blessings and the freedom. But what about when, when the schemes shift, even in America, and we start facing things like Stephen's facing? Lies, accusations, being brought before Councils, how will we respond then? Man, he's coming. The time's coming, and that's not to, to scare. But man, if we're not in the fight now, what hope is there for the lost when it gets more difficult to be a Christian in America? If there are so many Christians now who are silent and sharing the gospel now, when it becomes illegal, when it becomes more difficult, who's going to be sharing then? Will we 
look on the fields now and see that they're ready still for harvest. What are we going to do? I read a quote on a lawyer's marquee sign. I put it on the notes last week. It was at the bottom. Put it back on the notes this week, and it says this. Nothing happens until something moves. I believe it's time for us to move. Will you as, as a Christian, will you as a child of God who's been given the only way to heaven, will you say, I will move. I will move to action. I will speak the truth and love. I, I will seek after godly wisdom, and I will, I will strive to be spirit-filled. I'll, be, I, I, I'll try in every bit of my ability to submit to the Lord and allow His strength to be made perfect in my life so that I'm ready for every scheme that the enemy throws at me so that I can be faithful, come what may. I pray that's where we get. pray that's where we are. And I want to look this morning and see what, what Stephen does as he was facing this council. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Again, we thank you for your word. I pray you bless it and bless the preaching of it. Lord, the, the, the points that we have, I pray that we'll take them and apply them in our life, Lord. Help us to, to respond the right way this morning. And it's already been prayed. If there's someone here, someone watching, that doesn't have a personal relationship with you. They don't know 100% that they're going to go to heaven when they die. If there's anyone like that here or watching, Lord, I pray that before they turn their computer off, before they leave this building, they'll reach out and say, what do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to go to heaven when I die? I want to know. Or just move and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The truth is this. We, we all can have a zeal, a mental, and I believe even an emotional zeal to see souls saved. I, if you're a Christian here today and I ask you to raise your hand, how many people in this room want to see people saved? I believe that every Christian in this room would say, yeah, I want to see people saved. How, how, I, if I asked how many people in here have, have loved ones, family members, friends, or coworkers that you're close to, that you believe are lost and on their way to an eternal damnation, in a place called the lake of fire that God specifically assigned for Satan and his demons. But it will be the eternal dwelling place of all those who reject God's free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. It will be the, 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 the place of the enemies of God. And, and to be an enemy of God means that you have rejected Jesus Christ. And so if, if, if we were to say, how many of you have a, a deep desire and a burden and a passion. You want to see that loved one, that friend, that, that coworker. You want to see them saved and go to heaven and not spend eternity in, in the lake of fire. Again, I believe every Christian in this place would say, yes, I want to see that. But here's the reality, church. All of us have to get to a place where that zeal turns into action. Unless it goes from zeal to action, then the quote that I just read, uh, read from that, that, uh, that lawyer's board is, is, is so accurate. Nothing happens until something moves. So what happens to the zeal? You know what happens to it. I know what happens to it. Man, I want to see my friend saved. God, please. Hey, will you come to church with me? Hey, no, no response, no response, no response. Oftentimes that zeal fades away and we go back to the same old, same old. Just living our life, worried about us, 
forgetting about the burden of the lost. There's a, a pastor in California, his name is Paul Chapel, and he said this, faith is believing what God says and then acting on it. That's faith. Faith is an action word. Point number one is, I just changed the wording on that a little bit because, again, it's so important to understand the word faith and believe. Faith is trusting what God says and then acting on it. Trust is, is, is something that, um, again, so vital. It's, it, faith is, is, is the word that we see in Scripture so often. Um, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith uh, cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Uh, faith, this word faith that we hear, uh, I, I think becomes a, a very light, less impactful word than what the word actually is. So when we hear the word faith, we start saying, hey, do you, you, know, do, do you have faith in this? Do you believe this? And, and we even throw things out there like, like Santa Claus or, or the Easter Bunny or things like that. Do you, do you believe in this? Do you believe in these things? And, and, and again, the, the word faith in Scripture carries a much heavier weight than a mental belief or a mental faith. Faith itself, again, is an action word. It actually means an absolute commitment. Faith means an ab- absolute abandonment, an absolute reliance, an absolute confidence in something or someone. So when you say, I have faith in Jesus Christ to, 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 as my Savior and my Lord, that means that you have complete, absolute reliance, complete, absolute confidence. You have absolutely lost all confidence in yourself and any other thing and place all of it in Jesus Christ alone. That's faith of, of the Bible. So as I said last week, it's not about praying a prayer and saying, God, forgive me. Come into my heart and save me. And that's the key. That's the magic thing. That's not it. That's not what we see in Scripture. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with praying a prayer and saying, Lord, I want you to come and live in me. I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. I have absolute, there's nothing wrong with that. But that prayer does not save you. The Bible says that it's the faith. It's trust, it's confidence, it's reliance, it's forsaking all others and placing it in Jesus Christ. Faith is no faith at all without action. And that's exactly what James said in in the epistle from James. Faith without action is actually the same type of faith or belief that the demons have. That's what he says. That the demons believe and they tremble. The demons know that Jesus is God. The demons know that Jesus came to this earth, lived a sinless life, went to the cross and paid for all of the sin of all of mankind. The demons know that 100%. The demons know 100% that as much as they didn't want it to happen, that he got out of that grave on the third day, just like what we sang about. The demons know all of that. They don't, it's not like that they're, well, I'm not quite sure. No, they know. They witness. They know that Jesus is God. He is Lord. He is the Messiah. He's the Savior. He died on the cross, made the atonement, rose from the, the grave. The demons believe all of that 100% mentally. They know it. But there's a difference between what they know and believe and, and, and have, have absolute knowledge of There's a difference between that and those of us who can actually be saved by placing all of our confidence in Jesus Christ in those truths. 
We always use the example as what you're doing right now. You're sitting in a chair. All of your weight, all of your reliance, all of your confidence is in that chair. And some people get so confident in that chair, they fall asleep. That's a lot of confidence. Some of those chairs are a little rickety. But you could say, I have faith that this chair is going to hold me up. And you could hover over that chair. And that's similar to the the faith that many people think that saves them. I believe it. I know it. I I know that it'll hold me. And and I'm hovering over it. I'm just, I'm not putting all my confidence in it. Stephen is the, again, the first deacon. Already been identified as a man that's full of faith. He's placed all of his faith in Jesus Christ and has been full of faith, following after Jesus Christ, walking in that. His works are displaying his faith. He, he has he's done all these things. He was reliance in action. He was belief in action. He was trust in action. And I want to see this morning how that comes about, how we, how we see Stephen respond. But before we do, again, remember he had been doing these, these, these works in faith, and, and these, these lies came against him. He's standing before this council in an attempt to snuff out what, what, what God was doing. He's threatened. We're going to see his response to this. He's threatened by what they ask him. Human wisdom would say, look, just stay quiet, man. Just go your own way. Just don't, don't, don't stir the pot. Lay low. Submit to whatever those religious officials tell you. Don't, 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 don't mess this thing up so that you can just get out of this thing unscathed and go about your life. But what was Stephen's passion? What was his call? As a follower of Christ, as a man who was full of faith, faithful, his call was to be obedient regardless of the circumstance. So what does he do? How do we respond? We're just going to read this, so bear with me, follow along. Acts chapter 7, And the high priest said, Are these things so? There's his opportunity. There's his choice. Man, Stephen could just got to escape. Stephen kind of just get, get out of the say, you know, well, I, you know, I'll, I'll be quiet. I'll, I'll, I'll go back and live my own life. Just, I, okay, I get it. I get it. I, I, I won't do it anymore. So here's what he says. <laughs> he says, brethren and fathers, listen. The glory, the, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia and he dwelt in Haran. He said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land and I'll show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Iran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land And that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. Talking about the people of of God, the Israelites being in bondage in Egypt. And the nation to whom they will will be in bondage, I will judge, saith God. And after, after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, becoming envious, 
They sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. But there was a great famine that came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called for his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, and our fathers. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, and he and, and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of uh, Hamer, the father of Shechem. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time, Moses was born. It was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him, took him away, brought him, to, brought, him, brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came to his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed. And he struck down the Egyptian. He killed him. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting, and he tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, and you, you, your brethren, why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. I just want to stop real quick. This is Stephen standing before the religious leaders of Israel. You don't think that they know what he's saying? Can you imagine them in their, in their pious pride? Yada, yeah, 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 yeah. We, maybe maybe some, some of us in here know the story. Like, yeah, we know this story too. But it's so interesting. Stephen had an opportunity, right? He had an opportunity to, to avoid this situation, to, to, to lie, to use his flesh, to give in to the fear. He could do anything right now. But right in this moment, he, he, he chooses to be obedient and to speak truth. So he's going down the history of the nation of Israel for a reason. Continues on. But his 40 years had passed after Moses fled. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of, of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses, Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt." This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and judge, is the one that God sent to be a ruler and deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in a bush. And he brought them out, and after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years, this is that Moses 
who said to the children of Israel, the, the Lord your God will raise you up for a prophet like me from your brethren. Him shall you hear. He brings the, to the remembrance that Moses said that God would raise up a prophet and you need to listen to him. This is he who is in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey, but they rejected. And in their hearts they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. As for Moses, who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Again, he went up in the mountain. They were like, Where, Where's Moses? Hey, you need to make us some gods. He hasn't come back. We don't, know where he's, we don't know that he's coming back. Many of you know the story. So what do they do? They made a calf in those days. They offered sacrifices to the idol. And they rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to the worship, to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tab tabernacle of uh, Moloch and the star of your, of your God, Remphim. Images which you made to worship. And I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built his house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you, will you build for me, says the Lord? And what, what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? Gives them the history, and now he's about to turn the knife. <laughs> he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, and of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to us, but he might as well have slapped them right in the face. He just gave them the history, their own history. He just told them what God did. They already knew. And then he turned at the end and says, But you are hard-hearted, ears and hearts uncircumcised. You're still in your sin. You are the ones that killed the prophets. You are the ones that killed the ones that foretold the Messiah, and you are the ones that killed him. 
You say that you received the law that was directed by the, the messengers of God, but you haven't even kept it yourselves. It's not a very peace-filled, fluffy way. Not a very uh, seemingly gracious invitation for them to change. It's not even a, a politically correct message, according to man. This is not going to help Stephen's cause. You don't call somebody who has maybe the authority, the power to kill you, stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears. Again, Stephen could have let fear and doubt grip him. Stephen could have allowed these things to silence him as he faced the council. How can I possibly take a stand for Christ in this situation? It's a no-win situation. How can I do this? Stephen had the choice. Maybe he was battling the same fear that you and I fear, face in our lives. When we're presented with an opportunity to witness, when we're presented with an opportunity to stand for Christ, maybe Stephen faced those same fears. I'll put them on your notes. Maybe it's the, the fear of failure. Maybe, maybe he thought in himself, well, I won't have the exact right words to say. I won't have the right answers to give when someone starts asking me questions. And so I believe sometimes that you and I don't take a stand. Sometimes we don't share the gospel because we're, we're, we're fearful that we're going to fail in the attempt. We're going to not have the right words to say. Or maybe it's not that fear. Maybe it's the fear of ridicule. I've been a Christian for X amount of years, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and, 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 and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm afraid I'm going to look like a fool and somebody's going to make fun of me. Somebody's going to shun me. Or, or maybe they're going to laugh at me. Maybe they're going to bring up my past. Maybe they're going to bring up my failures and ridicule me when I try to share Jesus Christ with them. And then maybe sometimes we get fearful of hostility. Somebody's going to hurt me, maybe even kill me, act ugly to me, treat me bad. Again, these are some common fears that you and I face when we think about sharing our faith, right? Think about the loved one. Think about your family member. Why haven't you shared the gospel with them? Well, I'm just afraid that it's going to change our relationship. I'm going to, I'll be afraid that at, at the family gathering that it'll, it'll make things weird. I've, I've felt those feelings before. Stephen could have let those fears conquer him. In the midst of very uncomfortable circumstances, very threatening circumstances, he could have relied on his own strength in a way not stood on truth. He could have just kept silent and moved on with his life. He could have allowed fear to cripple his faith. And that's point two. Fear does cripple faith. As I close this morning, why didn't Stephen, why didn't fear cripple his faith? Well, the Bible says that he was full of faith. He was faithful. He wasn't prone to rely on his own strength. He hadn't been conditioned to do that. He was conditioned to rely on the Lord. He believed what his Lord had commanded him. He believed it was his personal command to share the gospel with the whole world. Stephen wasn't a pastor. He wasn't ordained to be a pastor. He was a deacon, but he was an example of serving in the church. He was an example of being faithful. He, he was an example of believing God's commands and believing God's promises 
and acting on them because faith is believing what God says and acting. So Stephen acted in faith. Not just something that he thought, he believed it with his all, all of his life. And it produced action. You know, in our world today, is, is that there's not enough things that can cause fear in our life, right? Man, think about this last year. How many, how many things the enemy has tried to use to get us to be fearful? Even this year. Can you imagine if doing normal Christian things became illegal? We were on the verge of that last year. Some places that's still there. Normal Christian things, going to church, singing out loud in church became restricted in some places. Normal Christian things, we were teetering in, and again, some places, again, I said this early on last year, and praise God we live in this state. Praise God, praise God for, for, for this church. Praise God that, that, that we say, you know what, we're going to be who God's called us to be. Amen. Can you imagine if inviting people, giving a track, giving an invite card becomes illegal? Would our faith be crippled by fear? Again, fear uh, uh, of death, of disease, so many things cripples our reliance on God. Fear is the greatest control tactic. And its siblings are worry and doubt. Man, if, 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 if the enemy can get us so wrapped up with worrying about things or doubting things or fearing things, we will not walk by faith. And if we're not walking by faith, we cannot please God. For it's impossible to please him without faith. Again, do we have the type of faith that Stephen had? Faith in action. Not just a mental faith but believing what God says and doing it. I pray that God would give us this type of faith. If you're not there this morning, if, if you put yourself in Stephen's situation and you say, you know what, I'm just going to keep my own business. I, I, just, I don't do that because I don't want to do those things. I want to encourage you this morning, come to this altar and pray this prayer. God, give me the faith of Stephen. I trust you. I believe you. I, I've given you my life. But I'm not acting in faith. I'm not living by faith. I'm, I'm not doing, I'm not being the messenger. I'm not sharing the gospel. I'm, I'm not doing those things. I'm allowing these things. God, give me the faith of Stephen. Give me the faith to obey you no matter what. And I'll say this. That type of life, living by faith, encourages others. Right? We love to hear those stories from missionaries. We love to hear those stories and those testimonies of someone witnessing to someone or, 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 or doing something. We hear them and say, man, that's awesome. Living by faith encourages others. Let's do that. Let's live our faith out. Let's be the witnesses. I encourage you today. Pray that prayer. God, give me the faith of Stephen. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the example that we have in your word. Again, we thank you for um, somebody that you used in the church, through the church. That's a great example for us today still. 2,000 years later, this man was just a servant. He was, he was faithful and he was obedient. He kept his focus on you. He didn't get carried away in fear or worry or doubt. 
He just stayed faithful and obedient in the midst of the trial. And you used him in such a way that it's still impacting the church today, us. Lord, that our faith would have that type of lasting impact in the church and in this, on this earth. Lord, give us the faith of Stephen. Lord, help us to live our lives out, sharing the gospel no matter what. Lord, just move now as we respond. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand as he sings, I want to encourage you to come.